Dang. Oh my gosh, that's such a heavy question. <laughs> why did it, why did you have to ask me this question? Where did this come from? They say having money is not everything, not having it is. Love of money is evil, but who don't want to be rich? Wealth is fundamental to the life that you want to live. As you pursue that wish, don't sacrifice this lit. I'm your host, Sir Robert Whitley, third of his name, BKA Net Worth Whitley, aka Mr. Money on Mission. Welcome to the show. Pull up a seat, tap in, let's go. Health is well. Welcome to another episode of the Health is Wealth show. This show, if this is your first time listening, this is for people who want to achieve financial independence without foregoing their overall health. And what we want to do here is simple. We want to create a community, a safe space where people can come and share and learn and grow from the examples and stories of individuals who have actually pursued and achieved that health and wealth. And today we have an amazing guest teed up for today. She is a true Jim, uh, allow me to introduce you to Jasmine Lopez. She is the co-founder of the Firehouse Dream. She's a wife who married her high school sweetheart, a mom to three beautiful girls. And I am so, so, so excited to have her on the show today. So without any further ado, Jasmine, first off, thank you so much for being on the show and welcome. How you doing? Yay! I am so good. Thank you so much for inviting me and to be in this space. I'm excited uh, just to have our conversation. Oh, me and you both. Yeah. Cool. So why don't you tell um tell everybody a little bit about yourself? So I am Jasmine. I am Latina. I am a professional photographer, have been in the creative industry for over 15 years, and then started my own business as a photographer. We make 10 years this year. So that's so exciting. And it's been a fun experience getting to photograph lots of different, like either brands or weddings and portraits. And um, I've officially kind of transitioned out of that and I'm focusing more on the nonprofit side of things with the Firehouse Dream, which we launched back in 2019 officially when we became a 501c3. And basically what we're doing is we're teaching creative skill sets to the youth and young adults within our community, which is located in Maywood, Illinois. And we're teaching creative skill sets, financial wellness, and normalizing mental health to the youth here in the community. Beautiful. And that's where we want to go, right? We want to we want to talk about the Firehouse Dream because I've been following the drip. I see all the content you all are pushing out there. And I tell you what, it's just such a beautiful demonstration of caring. And I don't know about you or any of the listeners listening right now, but Caring seems to be one of those lost arts. And I'll just kind of throw this out there and Jasmine, I'll let you run with it. But the firehouse dream to me kind of sits at that intersection of you know mental health and social health, right? And, and mm-hmm. the mission you got really just taps into the heartbeat of humanity. So um, if you don't mind, I want to kind of go there. Maybe share the vision, share the thought process. Like how did this all get started? Yes. Okay. Well, I think our approach really comes from a like holistic approach. And as we began to dream up this concept, and really in the beginning, it was me. We moved to our community and we were living here about six months. And really, we're just thinking of like, what could we do as community members to create change or impact within where we live? You know, I started looking around and we have lots of abandoned homes here. We are what we what is considered an under-resourced community. I say we're a community that's experienced disinvestment. I'm huge on language. And I think the way that we talk about our communities, it has huge impact. And so I try to talk about my community in a way that's 
with an asset mindset or approach. And so, yeah, so we are a community that has experienced this investment because under-resourced communities don't just become under-resourced. So living within our community, I was just like, man, like what could it look like to have a creative space here where our youth can like learn workshops, engage in creativity, learn photography, film. Um, Chicago is full of like co-working spaces. And unfortunately, we don't have anything like that here. And so I just began dreaming up this idea. And before we knew it, we found this really cool firehouse for sale um, in our in Maywood. And uh, my husband and I, we decided to be crazy to go after this dream. We sold our house to purchase it and uh, you know, DIY'd a lot of the work that we've been <laughs> that we've done here within the creative studio. But really the goal has been to have a holistic approach. And why that matters to me is because a lot of why the firehouse dream became what it is, is birthed out of my own story. And so I was raised um, by a single mom my entire life, low, lower income, Southwest side of Chicago, um, moved us to the suburbs for a better opportunity at education, which, you know, by the time we were already in the suburbs, we had already been mostly overlooked. And so we kind of just got shuffled through the system. Um, And while I was academically thriving, according to numbers and grades, I wasn't thriving emotionally and I wasn't thriving with a sense of connection to myself um, and in my own identity as as Jasmine uh, Cruz at the time. I'm Lopez now. But all of that to say, when I began thinking about what the firehouse dream could be, I took the experiences, my own lived experiences, uh, what could have it looked like when I started building my photography business to have mentors who look like me, who could help mentor me and show me how to build a business, um, who could help me understand that what it looks like to be profitable and to really challenge money mindsets um, because really our lived experiences impacts the way we see ourselves. It impacts the way we see the world. And when you're starting a business, it also impacts whether or not you feel like you're worthy of charging what you need to charge in order to be profitable. Um, And so that was a struggle for many years for me. And actually, I feel like it's barely now within the photography context where I feel like finally... I would what would be quote unquote attracting the right client, but it has taken so many years of work and me trying to figure that out on my own. And so the firehouse dream wants to like help alleviate that pressure. We provide the professional equipment so that our youth and young adults have access to equipment. Um, because again, that was a huge hurdle for us. Uh, we didn't want to get into debt. We didn't want to take on the huge expense of purchasing all this equipment. And so basically what we want to do is allow our youth to have access to it, where they have access to a space, where they have access to the equipment, and then be able to create the content that they're already creating, but with professional equipment and higher quality. And then we wanted to be able to not just teach creative skill sets, because that's good. And we need like um, entrepreneurial opportunities for our youth and young adults. But if we're not dealing with the financial wellness and the mental health and the sense of how our lived experiences impacts us, then I don't think we're going to see the kind of change we're really looking for. Um, And I don't think we're going to be able to make the impact that we're really looking for if we only focus on skill sets and not focus on uh, our mindsets around money. And then also the experiences we've experienced as we've grown up and how they've impacted us in our identity. Mm. (laughs) I know I said a lot there, so. (laughs) No, 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 but it it was fire, as the millennials say. 
I want to tease a lot of these things out. First, I want to start with, you mentioned something about the language you use to describe your community. I've heard terms like gentrification thrown around, regentrification, investment opportunities, opportunity zones. And there's always, to your point, there's always that negative connotation as though your community did something wrong, Mm -hmm. right? When in all actuality, it's quite the inverse. So I like your perspective and, and the language choice you use. Let's peel back a layer of the onion. So why do you choose to use that type of corrective language? Because I live here and this is my community. And what we experience as a community is real. Um, It is hard, but that doesn't mean we don't care. And I think there's this narrative that our community, that we are the way we are because there's no one here. There are no leaders. And, And let me give a little bit more context, right? Maywood is a predominantly Black community. We have a growing Latino community. um, About maybe 27% of us are Latino now. And we only have maybe about 4% of those who fall under the white category or Caucasian. However, Maywood was not a historically Black community. It became a Black community as a result of desegregation, which then caused white flight when additionally, we had a major manufacturing company shut down around the 60s and 70s. I mean, drastic numbers between the 60s and the 80s, it completely made a complete switch from being 100 to 96% white to then all of a sudden being um, African-American. And so when I think about my community and the the reputation that it has in terms of what outside people think about it is very contrary to the truth of what it is. And so um, for me, language matters because I live here. And when you talk about my community, you're talking about me. Um, You're talking about my neighbors. You're talking about my friends. You're talking about other community residents that I see busting their butts every day for resources to help provide food for our neighbors because we're also a food desert. We don't have uh, a full service grocery store here. And um, meanwhile, a forest that divides us um, is we're surrounded by affluent communities. And so we see these disparities within a matter of, you know, 20 seconds of driving, maybe 10 minutes of walking. And so for me, this is why language matters because I live here and it impacts not just me, but it impacts my neighbors. Mm, That is so good. So run it back for me one more time. How should I um, accurately refer to a community that is disenfranchised, as you said it. How, how would I do that? Oh, I think I think just being curious and asking, like, and even removing the labels from it and saying, "Hey, like, tell me more about your community. Like, what do you love about it? What yeah. what has your experience looked like?" Right. So, like, one of the first questions I get when people ask me where I live, they'll say things like, "Oh, isn't Maywood ghetto? How are the schools?" And so there's these associations that determine whether or not a community is good based off of how good the schools are and based on whether or not violence is high, which then is then applied to a specific demographic of people. But to me, that's not how I determine whether or not a community is a good community. I determine whether or not a community is good by, do our neighbors look out for each other? Do we have each other's back? Like, 
I could you not in the house prior to living here, we had a neighbor. Um, his name was Michael and uh, he rang his doorbell the very first day, our doorbell, the very first day we moved in. He introduced himself to us. He was like, yo, like I helped, you know, your house get renovated because we bought a flipped house that time. And uh, he was like, yeah, it's a pleasure to have you guys here. If you need anything, let me know. And there's been a few times where like we accidentally left our garage door open and he'd come and he's like, Hey, I just want to let you know, like I've, I, I closed your door. I locked your door. He's like, you know, I'm here for it. Another time he said, Hey, I noticed you guys haven't been cutting your grass a ton. <laughs> he's like, do you need help? Because, you know, I want our grass to look like those white neighborhoods look. <laughs> he's like, you know, I could help you with your weeds. I could help you with your landscaping. And so for me, I think, um, the being open to, or even just shifting narrative on what a good community looks like. I once heard from an activist in the Inglewood area, and she said, we're not a bad community. We're a community that experiences bad things. And so that's what I try to, like how I approach talking about it. We are an amazing community. We just experience bad things. Mm. Shout out to Maywood. Yes. I love that. That's that's moving. I really, I really like that. So with the support of your husband and family and friends and network, you launched the firehouse dream. And I know it's in its infancy now, but just an infancy, not meaning like it's, it's a small thing, but just it's new, right? It's kind yeah. of recent, right? You're still in the newborn phase. So let's play a game where we look into the future. Yeah. Right? Yes. I, I, I like to do this with my clients all the time. Gets the eyes going. Um, Let's say we're, we're 10 years from now, right? What does the firehouse dream look like? What is it doing? What is it solving? Tell us that vision. Yes. Oh my gosh. So um, in 10 years, we hope to be a multi-site location where we're not just in Maywood, but that we're actually national, where we have more than one location, um, where we partner with different uh, organizations and different communities uh, that have experienced this investment. And we offer our internship and mentorship programming that we do here um, and really basically have what I would consider like an in-house agency with our youth and young adults where we train them up and how to learn these different skill sets like photography, graphic design, brand identity, um, social media strategy. And then we partner with different uh, businesses and organizations within the community to help their brand identity, which will then will experience what we call community revitalization. Because really, when you think of another thing, when you think about like whether or not a community is good, you look at the visuals and almost the way, almost the ways that it is branded. And so if we can help elevate brand identity, we can then also begin to experience community re revitalization. And so that's like a big goal of ours. So we've already partnered um, with several different organizations and where we're taking their content, um, really getting to showcase the work that we're doing, not just within the firehouse stream, but what other organizations and businesses within the community are doing. And so we want to like duplicate that not just here in Maywood, but in the Chicagoland area. And there's so many other amazing Chicago-based um, nonprofits and arts-based as well. And so we want to partner with them, whether it's we help provide equipment because maybe their focus is something different where we provide the equipment and then we help train up 
leaders within that specific community. But really the goal is not that I would come into, let's say, Austin community, but rather I would find different creatives who already live within the community and want to give back to the community, but they don't have maybe 10 cameras and 10 laptops to do that. Well, we would partner with them, provide the equipment, the tools, and the curriculum, and then expand that way. Uh, so that way, again, it's community members uh, partnering with community members. It's not someone from the outside coming in. I love that. That's a nice vision. 10 years. I think it's going to happen sooner, though. Hey, yo, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> sooner the better, right? Yes, yes. So on your journey, have you had the support of like mentors or spiritual leaders, any any types of guides like that? Mm. Absolutely. The coolest, the coolest things have happened um, since sharing the stream. So I would say from dreaming and imagining up this concept to where we are right now, uh, we're about four years in. Um, as of 501c3, we close out our second fiscal year in June. And so, yeah, very early on in the process through Instagram, believe it or not, we've had two different couples reach out to us. Um, one was like, I came across the firehouse dream and didn't think anything about it. And then one night woke up in the middle of the night and felt like God told me to pray for you guys. And now we want to talk and get to know more about what it is that you're doing. And they have been amazing mentors and supporters, um, all about encouraging us to be, what would it look like to build sustainability? They were the first ones to speak into us that this is be a bigger than a Maywood concept. Because for me, I only saw this as, oh, this is going to be just my community think. And so they challenged me and they said, we really feel like this is bigger than they would. Would you be open to hearing from God in terms of what that could look like and where he would want to take the firehouse dream? Um, so they have been amazing. And then we've had, actually, it's been three different couples who have reached out and have just been like, we want to partner with you. We want to support you. We believe in this. Um, we want to financially support as well. Um, we believe in the firehouse dream, but then we also want to support a Latina-led nonprofit as well. And so it's just been really cool to see different people reach out and say, hey, like we believe in you and we want to offer our expertise even in helping you make sure that you're doing everything that you can in alignment to nonprofit sector, but then also that you have the support that you need as an individual to do the work that you're doing. So I'm super grateful for each of them. That is so cool. That is so cool. It's also... It's nice to hear credit given, you know, a lot, mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with this, but a lot of times, you know, I have these conversations and people put up what I'll call a facade, right? And they, they kind of preach self-made, you know, self-taught, did it myself, right? Wrote up my sleeves, put my boots on, did it all myself. And there is a little bit of like a, you know, a self-heuristic beauty to it. But a lot of times I just sit back and I go, did you though? Like, yeah. <laughs> are, were you like the second, you know, Immaculate Conception? Like, you no support, you raise yourself, no funding, um, which I'm going off on a tangent here, but <laughs> all that to say it's refreshing to see not only how you kind of powered through and created this vision, but you, you've been able to like, you know, have people championing you along the way, supporting you, guiding you, mentoring you. I think that's so important. 
Um, Absolutely. Because, you know, I've been in business for so many years, but I know not, I knew nothing at the time about nonprofit sector, which meant I didn't even know the disparities that exist in nonprofit sector. And we don't have to talk about that right now. But and so for me, I didn't know anything. So I would just like in my journal say, okay, I don't know what this means. Can you bring someone who, who can help me learn what this is or how to do X, Y, Z? Um, and before I knew it, someone would pop up in my life and be like, oh, I, I know how to do that. I can help you with this. It's It's been the wildest thing. And I truly believe like, I'm grateful that I get to steward this and I get to even hold it right now in this season. But I truly believe that this is a community dream and um, and that the firehouse dream isn't something for me to have my hands so tight on that I'm not willing to release it back to the community. Um, and my husband reminds me all the time. He's like, Jasmine, he's like, boo-boo, there's someone here that can run this better than you can. <laughs> and I think sometimes as founders, we can hold so tight onto something and not recognize when it's time to let it go and let someone else take it to where it needs to be. And so for us, we're like, no, we never want to have such a tight grip on this that we feel like we have to hold on to it forever. We want to be able to say, no, okay, we've done what we need to do to help build this up. We'll continue to lead it in certain aspects. Um, but if it's time for us to release it to someone else within the community, then it's time for us to do that. And we're the kind of couple where we'll be totally obedient to doing that. That's really good. Wow. All right, so let's pivot for a moment here. Uh, yes. In your words, you know the name of my show. What does health is wealth mean to you? Yes. So I would say, you know, there's like tangible physical dollars, which is good and it's needed, but it's a tool. It's not the thing. Health is so much more than that. It's mental. It's it's environmental. I talk a lot about community wealth as well. And so it's community. I have another friend um, named Sandra and she says, I flourish when my community flourishes. And so for, for me, I think that's what health is wealth. Like, it's not just for me to keep within myself. It's for us to all lean in together and to grow and experience it together. Yeah, I like that. Now, you got to understand, I've, I do a lot of these interviews and I've heard so many definitions of health as well or interpretations. And you are, you are the, the proud owner of the community wealth one. I haven't heard that yet, which is amazing. It's also a moment of reflection for me too, because... I don't know that I'm such a good neighbor. You know, I've never <laughs> rang the doorbell of my neighbor and said, yo, your, your garage is open. <laughs> Do you need help cutting your grass? I can barely cut my own grass, let's be honest. <laughs> so <laughs> that is so cool. And I, I love to see what you all are doing to just revitalize your community. That's amazing. Um, going down this route. So you've told me about the highs, right? We've had, you know, the birthing of the vision, you're flourishing now. You got supporters. You see the ten-year horizon. Let's maybe turn our attention towards some of the the walls of adversity. And the reason I'm doing this is not to kind of like pop the balloons in the proverbial parade, right? But to showcase that not everything is easy. And I feel like a lot of listeners they'll, they'll kind of be tuning in and they'll say, "Oh, Jasmine's just built different. They're just so good. They're sh- they're just so amazing. They're they're smarter than me." But I feel like you would agree with me in in this assertion that brilliant things oftentimes aren't easy. So maybe if you can, you know, share a little bit about you all's uh, struggles, challenges, walls of adversity that you guys have obviously pushed through. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So many, so many. The biggest one has been financial. 
this was a dream we had, but we didn't have money for it. We didn't have savings. Uh, we didn't have a big income. My husband worked in a nonprofit, like uh, for a church, like he didn't have a huge income. And so we're like, wow, we have this really big, scary dream. How are we going to accomplish this without financial resources to do it? And, and I don't know if this is necessarily sound advice for everybody, but sometimes depending on who you are, sometimes you just have to go for it and be willing to fail even if it doesn't work out. And so we were like, okay, initially we didn't want to sell our house. We we're like, we had just moved in. We just purchased it. That was like our Jubilee year um, because prior to, we lost our house during the mortgage crisis. We lost everything, all our possessions due to mold. And we lost our car in the house. We were homeless for a little period of time. And so we had to rebuild. And that was an opportunity where we really feel like God was helping us to really identify what do we want our lives to look like? And do we want to build something based on the American dream standards, or do we want to build something that's rooted in the truth of our identities? Mm. And so that has been how we have chosen to live ever since that loss. Um, and so when we started pursuing this dream with the firehouse, I was just like, we might need to sell the house. And at first my husband was like, I'm not selling the house. <laughs> and then like a day or two later, he's like, okay, I feel like we need to sell the house. So we sold the house and even though we had only lived in it like 18 months, somehow we had, I mean, I guess it was like based on the way we styled it, but we were able to sell it for significantly more, <laughs> that, which then allowed for us to have the down payment for the firehouse and then also to um, have a little money for the renovations. Because what you see behind us isn't how the space looked at all. It was completely like yellow paint. It was peeling. It was lead paint as well. We had to like have that fixed and everything. And so financial was the biggest struggle. Then we got a contractor who then like stopped showing up in the middle of the work. And yes, and took our money. And then figuring out how to advocate and get help was a challenge. It was the most discouraging season. And I'll never forget. I was just like, the space was barely, nothing had really made much progress with, you know, except with the exception of the ceiling. We had like falling, caving in tin ceiling of the firehouse um, of the ceiling. And so, you know, they did the ceiling and maybe that's, that's it. Oh, and they painted the white the white brick. Um, but other than that, the rest of the work hadn't been done. And I was just so discouraged. And I was like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to pay for it? Like, And we had to maybe even wait six months, eight months and put the renovations on hold. And then we decided, we're like, okay, we're just going to go for it. And we're going to DIY the rest of what we can. And we're going to do it ourselves. Again, maybe not sound advice, but we had an opportunity to use a credit card that offered free interest for a year. And we're like, okay, we're going to use this as an option. And then we're just going to budget because you know we had gotten really good at budgeting. So I'm like, okay, as long as we pay it off within the year, it makes sense to do this. And so that's what we did. And so that's how we creatively figured out how we could finish the space. But that's been our biggest challenge was the financials. Like, how are we going to do this? And there's still things we need to do. It's not 100% done. Um, you know, I just call this phase one for me. But it is definitely encouraging to be able to sit in a space now that is more complete than what it was before and to be able to have youth and young adults here and do what we're doing and to sit in it 
and be able to look at pictures as well. Um, I documented everything. So when our contractor stopped showing up, I had my photographer friend come in and take pictures of me with the trash and debris behind us. And because I wanted to remember this, I wanted to remember the hard and I wanted to be able to look back at it and say, even in the midst of this, this is where we are now, but that God was good through it all and that he was with us through it all. And so... <laughs> and so, yeah. And so when now, when we're dreaming even bigger and we're like, oh my gosh, we want to do multiple sites. We want to, we want to do X, Y, Z, where we still need, you know, to do official HVAC in here, where we still need to do the windows. And that's still another $30,000 in here. I can look back and be able to say, well, we were able to do X, Y, Z and be able to do this on a really small budget, maybe we could figure out creative things. And I think that's been something that's been really cool is being open to creative ways of provision beyond physical dollars. And so I'll share this one story because I I don't know, I feel led to share it, but um, we went to the village hall for some random reason, I can't remember what, and my husband found a flyer for uh, potentially getting a, a grant for like, free windows for like lead paint or something like that. And so we went through the application process to see if we qualified. It's based on financials. So we're like, okay, let's just see if we can do this. It's also based on how many kids you have and if they're under the age of fives. Um, It's definitely a tedious application process, but we went through it and we were approved. And so something for me that felt so overbearing and impossible because we tried a creative different route, we ended up getting free black windows on top of that on the upstairs level, which is where we live. And then they also repainted all the paint on the outside of the building. Um, And it was all covered through the grants. And so for us, we've seen the uniqueness and opportunity of creative provision beyond physical dollars, where it wasn't necessarily something we labored for in exchange for dollars, but we labored for it in exchange for a grant. Wow. (laughs) Just confirmation that your calling will make room for you. She said a grant for the <laughs> black windows too? Which that story is crazy because it's like, they don't do black windows. They do white vinyl windows. But because the property is a historic landmark, we had to get everything approved through the committee. And yeah. we had the one person on the committee was like, please, please, please just ask if they'll consider doing black windows. And this grant really wanted to, really wants to work with more properties in our community. And I think we were one of the first ones at the time. And so he was like, let me asked the contractor how much more it's going to be to change out the black windows. And then before we knew it, he's like, you know what? It's not significantly more. We'll go ahead and approve it. Nice. So yeah. And I wanted black windows. Like that was my, my secret desire. So it was really cool that my desire that, you know, that I held within me was met in this way. So definitely some challenges along the way. It wasn't a layup, huh? Oh no, No, absolutely not. (laughs) You didn't just get a random Venmo for two mil and you just kind of. No, not yet. yet. (laughs) Maybe one day that'd be awesome. And that's, that's a challenge too, right? Like how do you build a nonprofit that's sustainable? Because when it comes to like equity and grants and everything that they really want established nonprofits, well, we're not, we're not quote unquote, according to their, their requirements, we're not there yet. And so how do we build something that's sustainable? That's people of color led, um, where we, 
you know, pay our part-time staff well, where which they all live in the community as well, um, where we bring in facilitators to lead different workshops where we pay them well. Um, we can't expect to teach our youth these creative skill sets and say, make sure you charge and then expect our facilitators to come and work for free for us. And so that that's a challenge currently that we're walking in is building a sustainable nonprofit where we can, where we have the resources and the funds to continue to do the programming that we're doing, but in a way that's truly equitable for, for our community, for our interns, which are the youth and young adults who come in because we pay them as well. Um, we're like, we're not just going to ask you to come in and learn these skill sets. We want to pay you for your time. Um, and then as well as our leadership team. And so what does it look like for me to get paid as the ED of the nonprofit and to be able to be paid in a way that's equitable as well? Yeah, and that's that's one of the beefs I've kind of had with the nonprofit space for a while is that while I can definitely jump on board with you know some of the missions, I always found it so puzzling why there's all these prerequisites for, you know, support, you know, like you want to, and I think you kind of mentioned this, right? You want to apply for a grant. Why does it have to be 213 pages? Like, shouldn't the focus be on like the output, right? The outcome serving these under, uh, oh, wait, you corrected me. Don't say under resource, Rob, serving these children and youth and young adults in a way that they've never been exposed to, right? That's I've always just kind of been so annoyed. Like, why do you care about some 501c3 letterhead, right? Why? It's all these little, I don't know. And there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people in the sector that are really challenging that. And that's been really cool. There's a lot of grant makers as well who are starting to challenge that as well. Um, But there's huge disparities when you start looking at um, BIPOC-led nonprofits in comparison to white-led nonprofits and who's getting grant dollars and how much of the philanthropic dollar is actually going to um, BIPOC-led nonprofits. I mean, it is... It is, we're barely, let's just say we're barely getting a piece of the pie. Yeah. And so it's like, how do, when we have the lived experience and we live in our communities and we know the, how to reach our demographic and our people the best, but yet we're getting the least amount of dollars. And then also it comes with the most amount of stipulations, like how you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And so they're being challenged, but we have the the shift. If we're very early in the, in the phases of, these steps and these phases being challenged. So, yeah. Can I tell you a quick story? Just because yes. it came to mind and I think it validates what you've expressed there. So within my practice, we, we do provide services to a lot of nonprofits, like in the you know accounting and auditing space. I'm probably going to get in trouble for telling the story, but I don't care. I, I, do, <laughs> I do what I want. There was a time where I had to do some onsite visits for a couple of the nonprofits I worked with. And I distinctly recall going into one of the buildings, a nice building, and going to the parking lot. And I saw all these like modern or uh, modest cars, right? The small voice in my head wants to say hoopy, but I'm trying hard not to say that. But they were older cars, very modest, right? Less than $3,000 on Craigslist. And then, you know, at the very front, I see an Audi R8. I don't know if you're a car person, I am. An Audi R8 has an MSRP value of over 200,000. And this one had all the bells and whistles and trim and it was a beautiful coat, crystal, like sparkly. The rims were like, ah. And I'm like, this, the optics just don't sit right. And yeah. the gentleman who 
owned that car was also an executive within the nonprofit. And I just kind of mentioned, you know, optics wise, that doesn't, that doesn't look right. Have you thought about maybe I like do what you do. It's your money. But have you like thought about, you know, what that communicates to the people that are volunteering, you know, the people that are coming in and, you know, it was met with quite uh, contrarian pushback. But then I think it resonated. And then like the next year I came back to do another, um, maybe it was an audit or, or just a check-in. And then it was a Range Rover. And I'm like, okay, well, you're going in the right direction. But <laughs> but then it just kind of planted this seed in my head. And it's like, okay, so you've got this nonprofit vision and you've got people willing to donate to the cause. Shouldn't you be a better steward of the resources to apportion the right amount to the actual cause? Because otherwise you're giving people you know, second thoughts. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I don't know why I shared that story. I, I guess I'm trying to push transparency. Yeah. Can we talk about this though? Cause that's, that's let's like, go. That's, let's go. I mean, if you're going to, if we're going to go there, let's just go there. I think, let's okay. Go. I think there's a line, right? Like when we talk about equity and what it looks like um, for a nonprofit to be sustainable. Absolutely. And ED should be paid, you know, an equitable salary that's needed. We're, we're new, we're not there yet. And that's okay. But for me, when it's, when I think about like business ownership and what I take from that experience and bringing it into nonprofit sector, I'm like, I am not okay with me getting paid, but my staff barely getting paid livable wages, right? And if if my average medium income within my community is $48,000, I'm not okay with paying my staff 48K then. I, if we want to bump that up, they need to be paid more than that, right? And even, and even in how we do job descriptions, I, I'm not looking for a BA. I'm not looking for, for college diplomas. Like, do you have the character, the integrity, and the willingness to learn, awesome. Then I will teach you what needs to be taught and help bring out your natural skill sets and develop them so that you can become who you who you want to be. You just need some mentorship. You need some development, right? And so, and that's what we did in, in the hiring process. So how we language and wrote out our job descriptions um, really mattered to me because I wanted to make sure that when we think about equity, it's beyond just paying someone well. It's no, we want to be able to find someone who's from the community. He understands the context of our community and, um, you know, would it be ideal that they, you know, fit certain things? Awesome. And there's certain categories where that is needed, but then there's other opportunities where it's like, no, we can, we can train in that. We can teach, we we can teach the right person for this. And so, so yeah. So when it comes to, when it really comes to what it looks like to build thriving nonprofits, for me, that's not based on, oh, what does it look like for me to get paid six figures? Like that's not even a goal in this. A goal is, is like, we want a thriving nonprofit where our staff aren't worried if they're going to lose their job a year later because we don't have the funding to keep it around another year. And where our, and another thing is, is we don't want our to pay our staff in a way where they qualify for Medicaid and link. Like that should not be a standard that is okay for us in nonprofit sector. And again, I, I'm thinking about all these things because that has been our lived experience. We have gone through that where the pay 
didn't, it wasn't enough to get us through. And so we had to apply for those services. And by no means is that bad. But when it comes to seeing what a space looks like, where the, it's located <laughs> and what the furniture looks like inside, I think to me that matters. And so as well, that's what we've done here within the Firehouse Dream is, is we wanted it to feel homey, attainable, cute, right? Like I love aesthetic. I love interior design, um, but attainable, something where when our youth walk in it, where it's not where it's not all and, and again like restoration hardware is not bad right or west um those aren't bad things but when i think about the context of my community i want them to feel like they have a sense of belonging to the space so me purchasing furniture from specific places like that and others wouldn't make sense in this context but i can still make it look nice and i can still decorate it in a way where they come in they're like oh my gosh this is so cool and i can't believe this is for us and i can't believe that we get to be in this space and that we get to be a part of taking the nonprofit to another level. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm going off on a tangent here, but <laughs> it's a, it's a healthy one. I like that route. That's really, wow. I'm just so moved with your kind of follow through, hmm. you know, and just to share my kind of experience, I sit kneecap to kneecap with people with visions all day long. Oftentimes it's in a financial capacity. They're like, how do I, how do I get funding? What's this PPP loan? Yada, yada, yada. But I, I do a follow-up and, and I find that a lot of them just kind of, oh, no, I threw it away. I'm not going after it anymore. They, they throw in the towel. And I'm just so moved by not only the vision and the heartbeat of the organization, but you and, and your husband's willingness to just follow through mm-hmm. and see it through and make those very intentional decisions along the way. Right. You just don't see it that often. So kudos you. I'm just going to take a moment. Thank you. Thank you. That's that's super dope. Um, All right. So one more question. Mm -hmm. And this one, I'll give you a heads up. It's a challenging one. Okay. Um, What is something that I should have asked, but I did not? Ooh. I have never been asked this question. Hmm. Maybe. Okay. What comes to mind is... Maybe how has your lived experiences impact your health as wealth? I got one more question for you, Jasmine. Sure. (laughs) How have your lived experiences impacted your definition of health as well? Dang. Oh my gosh, that's such a heavy question. Why did it, why did you have to ask me this question? Where did this come from? You know, just felt lead, felt lead. Man, I think in order to fully be thriving people, everything we experience impacts, impacts what that means and what that looks like. Um, and so while my upbringing and my lived experience, I wouldn't wish that on anybody because it was traumatic. I can see how that experience has shaped who I've become and it's allowed me to become the person I am today so that I can be able to think of how decisions and decision-making impacts communities. And so now I get to say, hey, let's think about power dynamics when we make these decisions because I know what it's like to be on the other side. I know what it's like to be othered. I know what it's like to not feel like I belong. I know what it feels like to not be quote unquote smart enough or um, 
to be interesting enough to be learned more about. And so now because I can take that lived experience and I can think about now in terms of making decisions and how we make decisions as a nonprofit, I can say, hey, maybe we need to be creative or maybe we need different uh, solutions to overcome this challenge because now we're considering the nuance and the context of that challenge versus just saying, oh, this is a challenge and it is what it is. She's dropping gems, y'all. Wow. That, okay. I could see why I should incorporate that question into my, <laughs> <laughs> into my talk track. That's good. Do it. Do it. So good. Well, Jasmine, thank you so much for being on the show today. I feel like our listeners will not only be moved, but likely drawn to follow the works of the Firehouse Dream. So if people wanted to keep a tab on you, if they wanted to follow the content and the drip and all that fun stuff, how would they do it? How can they, uh, how can they plug in with you? Yes, you can find us at um, thefirehousedream.org and on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, it's the Firehouse Dream. Twitter is different. It's Maywood underscore TFD, but everything else is the Firehouse Dream. Nice. You guys got a TikTok yet? Not yet, but we're going to start one. Hey, yo, they're everywhere. I love yes. it. You know, I'm a millennial, so I'm like, I don't. I'm just like, I don't know if I can do the TikTok thing, but that's where that's where the Gen Z's are and that's who we need. That's who we're trying to attract for the nonprofit. So I'm like, all right, let's let's figure <laughs> this thing out. Let's do this. There you go. <laughs> so cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate you. Everything you're doing, I, I love it. Be on the lookout for a nice little care package from me. And uh, to the listeners, you all, we just had an awesome show today with Jasmine Lopez from the Firehouse Dream. She does it all. Mother, wife, co-executive founder, just really moving the needle on where we need to go as a society. So thank you, Jasmine. And to the listeners, till next time, health is wealth. Health is wealth, yeah. Health is wealth, yeah. Money, money, the answer for everything. Ecclesiastes 1019, you know exactly what I mean. Get your paper, the cheddar, the mozzarella, money machine. But keep the aforementioned mind as you go for your brain. Health is wealth. Uh. Health is wealth. Ooh, health is wealth. Yeah, health is wealth.